This morning, as we gather around the table for this special Christmas Eve communion, I want to share with you a devotional thought from Acts chapter 17. And so if you have your Bibles with you this morning, you can open up your Bibles to Acts 17. As we've studied in Acts 17 these past three weeks, I've titled the series Adventures in Acts, and I want to just give you a quick recap. The context of Acts 17 is Paul's second missionary journey. He received a vision to make an unplanned trip over to Macedonia. While there in Macedonia, he's been in Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea. He's been forced out of all those towns. And he has now been escorted to probably the most well-known town in this region, Athens. We know that's the correct way to pronounce it. (laughs) But since the rest of the world calls it Athens, I'll use that name just in case some folks are watching on the internet today and I don't want to confuse them. Athens was not only a highly populated town, but it was also the center of art center of philosophy, literature, and religion during this time. There was a saying in those days that in Athens, there were more gods than men. In fact, one of the ancient writers tried to count the number of different idols or gods that were worshipped in Athens alone and estimated that there were some 30,000 different ones. Now, I've heard it said about Nashville, Tennessee, that there's a church on every corner. Well, that was Athens, except there was a temple or a shrine or an altar on every corner. There was a different temple to each one of the 12 Greek gods. There were the great temples of the Acropolis. There was the Parthenon. Throughout the city, you could find altars built to gods named after various themes. For instance, there were altars to shame. Altars to reason, altars to virtue. And Luke even tells us in verse 23 that there were altars where the Athenians worshiped the agnostos theos, or the unknown God. So Paul enters Athens, and following his custom of always going first to the synagogue, he then heads out into the marketplace each day to talk with whoever he might find there. Now, some of these towns didn't take kindly to Paul talking about God or religion in the marketplace. If you recall, in Philippi, Paul had to go outside of the city walls in order to talk to people about God. But in this city, where there were more gods than men, religion was the talk of the marketplace. It would have been unusual for you to talk about something else in the marketplace. And then really, one of the most famous scenes from all of Paul's ministry He's given an opportunity to preach the gospel at an area of town called Mars Hill. And this morning, I wanted to read to you just the introduction of his speech. This is verses 22 and 23 of chapter 17. Paul begins, men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. 
Interestingly, much has been written about the history behind Paul's sermon on Mars Hill. Evidently, there was just not just one of these altars to an unknown God, but several of them scattered throughout the city. And if you've never heard it before, there's a fascinating story behind these altars. You see, in about 600 BC, there was an epidemic that went all throughout Greece. And here's what the people of Athens did to help bring an end to the plague. The Greeks thought, surely they must have offended one of their gods. And so they began offering sacrifices on altars to all their numerous gods. Now, if there were some 30,000 of them, that's a lot of sacrifices, but that's what they did. And when nothing worked, then they figured there must be a God out there who they didn't know who they had somehow offended. And so they came up with a plan. Here's what they did. They turned loose a flock of hungry sheep into the countryside and instructed men to follow these hungry sheep to see if any one of them would lie down. And the thought was, since they were hungry sheep, they wouldn't naturally lie down, right? They would graze. Makes sense, I guess, but here's the kicker. If the hungry sheep were to go and not graze, but instead lie down, they decided that that would be a sign from God that that place was sacred. The place where that sheep decided to lay down was sacred. And so at each spot where a hungry sheep would lie down, the Athenians would sacrifice the sheep right there. If that spot happened to be near an altar that was already, an altar already recognized to some god, then the sheep was sacrificed to that god. But if the spot was apart from any of those recognized altars, a new altar was built and the sheep was sacrificed there to an unknown god. And after performing this exercise with the sheep, the plague stopped. And so the people of Athens attributed the end of the plague to one of these unknown gods accepting their sacrifice. And so get this. Here is what historians and scholars believe to be the setting for Paul's famous sermon at Mars Hill. For centuries, the people of Athens had been worshiping a God who rescued them from certain death through the sacrifice of a lamb. Let me repeat that in case you missed it. For 600 years, the people of Athens had been worshiping a God who rescued them from certain death through the sacrifice of the lamb. The only problem was they didn't know the name of this God. And here is where Paul steps in and speaks into this context. Picking back up in verse 22, he says, what you worship as unknown I'm going to proclaim to you. 
You see, Paul's message to the people of Athens is good news because it makes the unknown known. It's good news to the people of Athens because it reveals to them the name of the one they are to worship. They had already been worshiping the God who had rescued them from certain death through the sacrifice of a lamb. They just didn't know his name. And now they know his name. Jesus the Christ. Now, if you think about it, the story of Christmas is good news for the same reason. You see, Christmas makes the unknown known. Christmas reveals to all people the name of the one we are to worship. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 2. We've been making this connection back and forth between Acts 17 and Matthew 2 uh, throughout this series. Appreciate the Pittmans reading the story from Matthew 2 uh, to us as well this morning. Let me read again the first two verses of this well-known part of the Christmas story. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east, and we've come to worship him. Two weeks ago, we learned that the message of Christmas is that there is another king, one called Jesus. Not just another king, like not just another, there's already 30,000 gods and here's another one. Not just another king, but another kind of king. The one they call Jesus. There's, there's never been another person who was born king. That's the message of Christmas. Last week, we talked about how this is also the message of conversion. For Jesus did not come into the world just to be born king, but he came into the world to become my king. So it's also the message of conversion. This morning, I want to emphasize how the magi, how the wise men respond when they finally meet the king. How do they respond? They worship him. Matthew chapter 2, verse 11. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. You see, a day is coming when we will all finally meet our king face to face. A day is coming when we will all at last 
be in the presence of the one who we've been following after all these years. And the wise men show us the way. They show us how to respond when one meets the king. The magi show us how to respond when you're finally in the presence of the one you've been following after for so long. You worship him. You know, there's, there's not another day on the calendar where there's more anticipation for a coming day than Christmas Eve. If you didn't already know that, just ask some of these kids in the room. I mean, on our calendars, it's the day of anticipation. Kids all over the world won't be able to sleep tonight because their level of anticipation's off the charts. So it's fitting on Christmas Eve, on this day already filled with so so much anticipation for us to gather around this table in anticipation of the coming day when we will finally meet our king face to face. When we will gather around a table in glory and we'll meet our king face to face. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 that when we gather as a church to take this meal, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Do you know what that word proclaim means? Paul uses this word proclaim in 1 Corinthians 11. It says anytime that we gather as a church around this table to take this meal together, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That word means to preach the gospel. That's what we do. Every time we gather together around this table, we preach the gospel together. Every time we gather around this this table, just like Paul did on Mars Hill, when we take this meal together, we make the unknown known. When we take this meal together, we're proclaiming that we worship the God who has rescued us from certain death through the sacrifice of the lamb. His name is Jesus Christ. We're going to share in this meal together, and we're going to do it a little differently if you haven't picked up on that already. Um, On your way to the table to get the bread and juice, we want to invite you to come uh, and to add to the candles on the wall behind me. So uh, use any of the lit candles already on the wall to light a candle and then include yours. Now, parents, for your children, we have some that they can light up themselves here, these old nice little ones. 
um, if you would prefer that. As some of you probably will. And then here's the, the smaller ones here. But we're going to be singing four songs together during this time. And so please come, take your time, put a candle on the wall behind us. Children, those of you who have used your activity sheets to make a little gift to present to King Jesus, on your way up, you can come and place those right here at the manger. I want you to know uh, that the lighting of these candles symbolizes for us how this meal makes the unknown known. When we gather to take this meal, we proclaim together that light has come into the darkness through the life and the death and the resurrection of our King. Finally, on your way back to your seats, you can come to the table Get the bread and the cup and hold on to those and take those back to your seat. Uh, be aware, please, of anyone around you who might need your help, might need you to bring communion back to them. There's some small plates on the table where you can do that, be used for that. But again, we're going to sing four songs together for us to be able to, to, to have plenty of time to do this. And then after we've all um, gone back to our seats, I'll come up and say one prayer and then we'll take this meal together. Please come to the table.